Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with David in the wilderness of death, as we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 26, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Samuel 26, and let's begin our study. These final five chapters, six chapters. The wilderness of Ziph actually lies between Hebron and the area of the Dead Sea, a very vast, barren area. And the Ziphites came to Saul in Gibeah, and they said, David is hiding himself there in the wilderness of Ziph. So Saul went down with 3,000 of his men seeking David, and Saul pitched there his tents or his camp, and David was staying in the wilderness, and he saw how Saul came to him, and David sent out his spies and learned that Saul indeed had come. And so David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched. Now, that wilderness area is such that uh, there are just a lot of places where you can hide and a lot of places where you can observe the movements of others without being seen yourself. And David saw the place where Saul was lying in Abner, the captain of his host nearby, and Saul lay in the trench, and the people were pitched around about him. And David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zariah, Who wants to go with me to Saul to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. Now again, as I have said so often, I admire David. I admire the courage of this guy. I admire the daring Here is Saul out to get him. And so David, you know, is looking over the camp. He sees where Saul is lying down and all. And and he's so daring, he's going to sneak down into the camp of Saul at night. Rather than just running the other direction, making as much distance as he can between him and Saul, he's just got that adventuresome spirit and all. He says, who wants to go with me down to the camp there tonight? And Abishai says, I'll go with you. So David and Abishai came down into the camp, and they were all sound asleep. And Saul was lying there, and his spear was stuck in the ground beside him. And Abishai said to David, all right, David, look at that. Lying there on the ground. Let me take the spear and run him through. I won't even hit him the second time. God's delivered your enemies into your hands. And David said, Who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Now, I have to have great respect for David's respect for the anointed of God, even though the anointing of God had for all practical purposes been lifted from Saul. 
Still, David had such a high regard and respect for the fact that God's anointing had been upon his life that David refused to touch him. Because God had said in the law, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. Now, God places a protection, really, around his anointed servants. And that's just one of the fringe benefits of the ministry. There's a lot of hardships in the ministry. It isn't all glamour and, and excitement and, you know, drama and thrilling experiences. There's a lot of heartaches in the ministry. There's a lot of hard experiences in the ministry. Dealing with people isn't always the easiest thing in the world. There are a lot of situations of which there seems to be absolutely no way out, and, and you just don't know what to do, what to say. You're at a loss. And you're not infallible. You can make a lot of mistakes. The Lord knows I've made my share of them. But one of the fringe benefits is that he stands with you. As I stand here to minister the word of God, I don't stand alone. The Lord stands with me. And it's wonderful to know that protective power of God upon your life and surrounding your life. Now there are a lot of people who feel that they know much better how to run the church than I do. Now, let me confess, I don't know how to run the church, and I don't pretend to know how to run the church. I do my best to get my orders from the Lord. But there are some people who feel that they are like the Lord, that they can give me the orders, and they seek to conform me into their image. Now, my wife tried to do that for years. <laughs> And finally, one day I said, honey, you're not God. I'm not to be conformed into your image of what you think a husband should be. I want to be conformed into his image. And I'm not so sure that you and he are lined up in what I ought to be. <laughs> so my wife finally gave up trying to conform me into her image. But there are people who write and, and try to tell me how the services ought to be conducted, what we ought to be doing. And, and it's sort of sad because I see that when a person once gets their mind bent towards criticism, that it grows and grows and grows, and it becomes like a cancer. It soon overwhelms them, and they become so critical of everything. And we have people that come and, and say, well, why don't you do this in your services? Why don't you do this? And, why don't, and they have all these ideas of what we ought to be doing. And in reality, nearby there are churches that are doing those very things. Why don't they go to those churches where they are doing those things if that's what they want the church to do? You see, I must follow the Lord and the leading of the Lord. 
And if you want a lot of shouting and a lot of demonstrations, there are churches that have these kind of things. I suggest you find one. I got a letter from a lady a while back and said, I've been looking for years for a church where the word of God was being taught. And we came to your church and we were just so thrilled because the word was being taught. But then the usher told us that we couldn't bring our little two-year-old baby into the services with us. And if my baby isn't welcome, then I don't feel welcome. And she began to lay a trip on me because her baby wasn't allowed in the church, you know, and so disappointed. Well, I wrote her back and told her that we have some 180 babies to 220 two years old and under that are here on an average Sunday morning. And that if all of those babies were in the service, <laughs> no one would be able to hear the teaching of the Word of God. So I told her that I was praying that the Lord would help her to find a church where the Word of God is being taught where her baby would be welcome, but I also just hoped that if her baby was welcome, that she'd be able to hear the service and the teaching of the word in that particular church that she might find. Now, there, are a re there is a reason why we don't have children in the services. It's so that we can minister to people on an adult level with a high level of attention so that there aren't the distractions of children going in and out, children going through songbooks, babies crying and so forth. And that's the way the Lord has led us to do. And if you want to go to a church where you can sit and have your baby on your lap crying through the whole service, there are churches that will let you get by with that and you're welcome. Go find one. And it's interesting to me, too, you know, in the New Testament, Jesus said, you know, how that the people were getting around the law that said you're to honor your father and mother, you're not to curse them, and if you curse your parents, you're to die. And so they had developed the, it's like the fellows in Israel told me, well, he said, I'll talk to the rabbi. He said, they can always figure a way around it, you know. <laughs> So on the Sabbath day, you're not to spend any money, but you can use credit cards now on the Sabbath day because that's not money. They always figure a way around. So they said, if you tell your mother and father before you curse them, say, this is just for your benefit. This is for your good. I want you to know that you're just a lousy creep, you know, and then you can tell them anything you want. As long as you say, this is a gift for you, this is for your benefit and you're good, then say whatever you want. And so circumventing the, the law completely. Someone writes me notes and signs agape. Well, because they sign agape, they think they can say all kinds of mean, critical things in their notes because after all, they sign it agape. No agape there at all. That's hypocritical. <laughs> Touching the anointed of God should never be considered something that 
you know, should be, should be light or... David had a high respect. He wouldn't touch Saul. And he said, look, God is going to take care of him, and that's the proper attitude. If he is God's servant, God is going to take care of him. Paul said, who are you to judge another man's servant before his own master either stands or falls, and God is able to make him to stand? Now, if I were serving you, then I should be taking orders from you, but I'm serving the Lord. And my responsibility is to the Lord. And someday I'm going to stand before him and give an account of myself and of my ministry to him. Therefore, I've got to listen to him because I'm going to be accountable and answerable to him one day. So David said, God's going to take care of him some way or other. God is going to smite him. He's going to fall in battle. God will take care of him. I don't want my hand to be against the anointed of God. I don't want to be guilty of that. The Lord forbid, he said, that I should stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. But I pray thee, take now the spear that is at his bolster and the cruise of water and let's get out of here. So David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster and they got away. No man saw it or knew it. Neither did they wake up for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Then David went over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill that is far off, a great space being between them. And David cried to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Answerest thou not, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who art thou that criest to the king? Now, David got a great way off and called. There is an interesting thing about that country, and that is that the, there is a tremendous acoustics of some kind that you can hear for miles. I was pointing it out to the people when we were up on the Herodian. There were children that were at least three-quarters of a mile away that were playing out there. And I said, listen to those kids. And, and you could hear them. You could hear them as they were playing. You could hear them calling to each other and all. And when they had gone up to the top of the Herodian, as we were going up the hill, I saw some caves about halfway up the hill. And I was curious what might be in those caves. And so I, rather than walking up the road to the top of the Herodian, walked around the side of the Herodian to explore these caves, which I found to be big cisterns there in the side of the Herodian and, and some interesting uh, ruins of the walls. But the people were up on the top, and I could hear them just talking to each other in their conversations, though I was almost halfway down the mountain. And so I started talking to them, and we could converse back and forth uh, over an area of 400 feet in normal uh, voice without yelling or lifting our voices. We could converse uh, at a distance of over 400 feet very clearly. There's something about the atmosphere or whatever, but sound really is conducted very easily over there. And, and you can actually hear for miles. 
And so David went over into the other mountain just a great way off, and he cried back, and they could hear him. You can actually uh, sound transfers so well in the atmosphere or whatever that it's really amazing. It's, it's, uh, people wonder, how in the world could Jesus ever talk to 5,000 people? But the way the acoustics are there, there isn't any really problem at all. Uh, to, to address large multitudes of people without uh, public address systems. It's really something that is quite unique and un interesting. I've always found it extremely interesting. So David went over to this mountain and he called back, Abner. Abner said, who is it that's crying unto the king? And David cried to the people and to Abner, saying, don't you answer, Abner? And David said to Abner, are you not a valiant man, and who is like unto you in Israel? And why have you not kept thy lord the king? For there came one of the people in to destroy the king thy lord. It's not good what you have done. As the Lord liveth, you ought to be put to death, because you have not kept your master, the Lord's anointed. And now look where the king's spear is and the cruise of water that was there at his bolster. And so... David is sort of chiding Abner, the chief general of Saul, saying, hey, they, uh, you know, your job is to guard the king, and, and you aren't doing a good job. You ought to be put to death. Someone came in to destroy the king, and, and you were just sound asleep. Look where the king's spear is and the cruise of water. And if Saul, of course, waking out of his sleep, said, is this thy voice, my son David? And David said, it's my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, why does my lord pursue after his servant? What have I done? Or what evil is in my hand? Now, David, I think one of the phrases of David all the way through was, what have I done? Always saying, what have I done? He seemed to always be getting into trouble, you know, and, and always really for, for not very much, but what have I done? And so when he went down to the camp where his brothers were fighting against the Philistines and, and the Goliath came out and David began to say, hey, why are you guys hiding and why doesn't one of you fight him? His brother started getting out on his case and he said, hey, what have I done? I only ask a few questions. And here with Saul, what have I done that you would pursue me like this? Now, therefore, I pray thee, let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, then let the Lord receive an offering. Let's offer a sacrifice and let's get it over with. But if it is the children of men that have stirred you up against me, then let them be cursed. For they have driven me out from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord. Now, therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, and as a partridge you've chased me over these mountains. Then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul was precious in thine eyes. This day, behold, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. Now, here's a confession of Saul, and Saul 
if David's phrase was, what have I done? Saul's phrase was, I have sinned. But he never repented. He only declared a fact. And, and this is sort of tragic. And, and so many people do that today. They say, oh, I have sinned, but they don't change. It's more than just the confession of guilt that is necessary. It's the turning from the sin which is important. Except thou repent, Jesus said, you're going to perish. And repent means to turn. So it isn't just saying, oh, I have sinned. It's turning from your sin which is so important to the Lord. And here is Saul again, and many times, on many occasions, whenever he was faced by Samuel the prophet, he said, oh, I have sinned, but there wasn't any sign of repentance. I have sinned. I've played the fool. I have erred exceedingly. This is Saul's confession. Of course, it's a very tragic confession. It's the truth. He did play the fool. All through his life, he played the fool. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of 1 Samuel on our next broadcast, as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order 1 Samuel 26 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord be with you and bless you and keep you in his love and grace. May the Lord watch over you and may you be filled with his spirit and walk in the strength and in the power of the Spirit of God as he anoints you day by day. May you be enabled by him and may you enter into that fullness he has for you, walking with the Lord, loving the Lord, listening to the Lord, in Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Come study the Bible with Pastor Chuck Smith as he teaches from Genesis through Revelation on a digitally remastered audio edition of Pastor Chuck's Bible Commentary. That's over 600 audio MP3 files of Pastor Chuck teaching through the entire Bible, all on a 16-gig reusable flash drive. 
Now you can easily listen to Pastor Chuck's Bible commentaries when you insert this key into your computer. Then you can transfer all of these audio Bible studies to a smartphone or any other listening device to learn and study God's Word on the go. And not only that, you can reuse this flash drive that easily fits onto any keyring for even more mobility at a fraction of the cost. What a great way to study and learn God's Word. For more information, please call the Word for Today at 1-800-272-9673 or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org.